Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderveld, your host today. So welcome everyone. My name is Jackie Vanderveld and this is another VPC Live. Um, and we've got the very fabulous Michelle Mitchell with us again. I think we we're trying to work out, Michelle, what was it, six weeks, I think, since the last time we spoke? Only six like weeks. I'm so glad no one's sick of me yet because I've been here a lot, people. You have, and it's been great because I think that it's just been such a stressful and interesting interesting and in inverted commas time for everybody i'm um, interesting in a good way interesting in a challenging way for everybody so i think that the conversations that we've been having have been uh, really welcome and uh, giving people time to have a really good think so i'm going to do the formal intro now okay and i need my specs for this drum roll I can that. i drum roll you yeah go on drum roll yep i think that came through okay <laughs> Okay, so Michelle Mitchell is an award-winning speaker and best-selling parenting author. She has been termed the teenage expert by the media and is sought after for her compassionate and grounded advice for parenting tweens and teens. Michelle started her career as a teacher but soon discovered a special interest in well-being. She left teaching in 2000 to found the Youth Excel, a boutique health promotion charity which delivered tailor-made life skills programs and psychological services to thousands of young people and their families. Today, she uses her experience to write and speak in schools, community events and through the media and VPC Live. <laughs> so please join me in welcoming Michelle. I'm a VPC member. member. I am, yes, I I am <laughs> in. This is a good place to be. So, Michelle, let's dive straight in. Um, I, I was, uh, when we were preparing for this, I found some, we were talking, you know, tricky, tricky things in, in, with teenagers and parenting tips. And I found some memes which are a bit, oh, <laughs> a little bit, uh, you know, a bit sort of challenging. But really, this is kind of how people feel. And I think the, the one that actually spoke to me a little bit was um, when, your when your children are teenagers, it's important to get a dog so that someone in the house is happy to see you. <laughs> I think I can probably remember a few times like that. Um, the main, and, uh, and I love this one. The main problem with teenagers is that they're just like their parents were at that, at that age. That's right. Yeah. You know? So yeah. it's kind of all been there and, all, and, and done that. So, but anyway, look, let's have a, have a really good sort of deep dive now because I think that there's some, you know, some interesting things that have come up certainly across all of our chats over this, over this year um, and the questions that people have come, come up with. But, you know, we're really on that cusp, talking about that, um, you know, teens and tweens, the cusp of adolescence, mm -hmm. and there's so much going on in their brains. Mm -hmm. that, look, there absolutely is. And if you don't understand brain development, you don't understand anything about teenagers. And unless you go into those teenage years with a bit of understanding with what changes are going to happen and what you're up for as a parent, things can spiral downhill really quickly. And so I think, you know, some really good reading and understanding about brain development and the changes our kids go through is, is baseline starting point for parents. Oh, I love I love a brain story. Um, if anyone follows any of my tweets or posts on uh, on social media, I've always got you know hashtag neuroscience, you know brain files. Humans are amazing. So, 
tell us a bit about what you're, you know, the research that you're doing at the moment about the changes, um, what that means in real life in terms of things like organisational skills, um, those big emotions, um, gravitating, you know, and that, that gravitation to that big emotion in the moods. And I've got to say, we've had one question tonight already that says, I don't know who I'm dealing with from one day to the next <laughs> in terms of the moods. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, now there's so much to cover in this and this is only a part of what we're going to talk about tonight. So I'm going to pull out what I think is going to be helpful for everyone and just slip in that stream because our kids brains develop from the back to the front and it's their prefrontal cortex which is in the front of their brain here it is the last thing to develop and so you think about an adolescent having a turbocharged limbic system which is the emotional side of their brain and an underdeveloped break system which is their prefrontal cortex responsible for things like emotional regulation and problem solving and organization skills and their language skills live up there too and so that's underdeveloped at the same time their emotional brains just turbocharge so i like to say to parents this think of a car speeding a hundred kilometers down a highway with no brake system and that's actually oftentimes how our teenagers feel um, they feel sometimes just as out of control as they look they scare themselves sometimes as well and so as parents we come in and and i did a post on facebook recently just talking about how we can be the gps for them in life and we're sort of like just slipping in some directions and instructions here and there because i tend to think that we jump in and play that role of their prefrontal cortex or at least trying to activate their own prefrontal cortex while they're in this stage of growth it's an interesting point you make there. I think, uh, you know, previous life when I was in a classroom, I, um, you know, I remember asking a young young fellow why why he did something, and and you know, the genuinely I don't know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, I don't know. It was more of a grunt, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, and as as I got to know young people a little bit better, that's that's a that's not uncommon. So uh, and and how I how do you feel? Like I don't know. Like, you know, and our job, when they don't have the language, it, they kind of borrow ours. And our job sitting next to a young person when they don't know how they feel or they don't know what they think or they don't know why they did something is to help them pull that out of themselves and help them connect to that part of their brain that is able to use the language and solve the problems and put it all together with them. Yeah, and I think too, it's not so much that they don't know, it's just that they've not been challenged to think about it before. Well, it's so, interesting to think about it, Jackie, that's right. It's not as easy for them to do that as it is for us as adults. And I think when I, when I think about this whole brain development, we come to life with a completely different brain than an adolescent does. And that equates to we have different priorities, we find things... Um, you know, more interesting or less interesting. There's a whole lot of differences between adults and teenagers and teenagers are not many adults. They're teenagers and it's this specific stage of their life that we've got to get in the flow of and not fight against. So the big emotions. <laughs> Very big emotions. That's probably the thing that most parents are just like, yeah. they've either forgotten that they went through something like that themselves yeah. And, yeah. and their own response to the big emotions yeah. that they might have yeah. gone through. And maybe it wasn't handled really well when they were teenagers. Yeah. yeah. You're kind of learning, you're kind of doing what you saw, right? So, yeah. um, so how, how do people, how do parents sort of handle this now with what we know? 
with okay. So when you're when you're thinking about a young person driving down with his car, you're thinking loud music, you're thinking friends in the car, you're thinking they're going to a party, you know, you're thinking life is adventurous and fun and everything is elevated and everything is escalated. Now, when you think about an adult's brain, our priorities are totally different. Young people may want to have fun and adventure and party, but we just want to put the washing on. And so when we don't show up looking after ourselves as parents and having that in-charge energy that I know we've talked about before, the big emotions that our teenagers have can be completely exhausting for us and we can have such little tolerance for it. But the truth is to get into the flow of teenage land, you've got to get into the flow of these big emotions. You know, Saturday morning might look like um, for a fun for a teenager might be going shopping or seeing their friends or you driving them to sport and a great Saturday morning for you will be getting the washing done. Can you see the difference? And so if we stay in our flow and we choose comfort over connection, it's never going to work with teenagers. It's like we're, we're butting up against a river. We need to get in the slipstream of that. And to do that, we have to be able to look after ourselves. We have to be able to show up with the energy that our kids need to match that emotional intensity that they've got. Michelle, can you, we've got a, quite a number of people on tonight who've not heard you speak before. Oh, really? Um, so, yeah. It. So, in charge energy. Can you just give yes. us a brief on that again, please? Because that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> For me, I learned about in-charge energy when I was teaching in alternative learning schools. So this was alternative education for young people who couldn't fit into regular schooling because of health issues or some issues in their life, or they had been expelled from a lot of schools and needed an alternative program. So there was a lot of behavior issues. And so when I'd walk into a classroom and see two boys fists ready to go at each other, or girls in this side having a bit of a cat fight, if I didn't come in with in-charge energy, they would mow me down. I mean, it was not gonna happen. And so I would need to make sure my own tank was full. And there's three things that I think every parent needs to recognize that slide downhill when they're lacking in-charge energy. And the first one is this, they have less tolerance for the emotional journey. They just want the homework done, they want it done now. Or they want, go and have a shower, go and have a shower now and like don't get all emotional about it. I don't want a half an hour chat about your friends first, just get it done. And we've got to realize that, especially teenagers, they learn by being emotionally engaged in life. And so when we lose tolerance for that, we're actually losing the ability to stand with them through some of their key learning times. The second thing is we become unrealistic with our expectations. And this is a big one with parenting teenagers. You know, we often think that they should look like a steady investment. They should be going up incrementally. <laughs> but often we get this big regression in behavior. And because we haven't expected that, we have these she should conversations or he should conversations because we're not expecting that regression to take place. So we might give them a list of 10 things to do and don't understand why they can't remember them all. I mean, look, you're 14 years old now. What's the problem? But their brain doesn't work like that. Um, the other thing we can do with instructions is be very impatient and we can want things done in an unrealistic time frame um, and we don't stop and really think about our expectations before we talk and that happens when we're tired. I know when I'm tired, I bark instructions from the other side of the house and that never gets a good reaction with my boys. 
But that's what happens when I get tired. I don't even have the tolerance to walk in the other room, stand next to my kids for a few minutes, engage with what they're doing, and then ask them what I need to get done. The third thing that slips is we lack this kind of presence that shows up and says, and the only answer I'm gonna accept right now is yes, mom. And not everything has to be negotiation in our homes. Like, there's plenty of room for that. And I think most parents these days spend a lot of time negotiating with their kids. But I think it's totally acceptable every now and again for us to say, I need that dishwasher unpacked, I need it unpacked now, and the only answer I want from you is yes, mom. And I have seen it when kids don't want to get up and go to school. And I talk to their parents about in-charge energy and the light goes on with their their mum or their dad going, look, I'm just lacking the energy to say, get up, get in the car, this is, this is the direction we're heading in. And so it actually takes a really big adult to be a few steps ahead of a teenager, especially with their energy. That's what it is. They, they come like full of charge and full of energy and full of fight. And um, that's, that's draining. It is draining. And this feeds really nice into our next point too, which is, you know, at, at this time we've got, um, you know, they're growing, their their socialize, their, their socialization is is moving along, as you said, sometimes faster than others, <laughs> others at other times. Um, yeah. But they, but we've reached a time when we're starting to see our friends and peers play a more prominent role in the import as importance mm -hmm. in importance in their lives and more so than it appears that mum and dad so yeah. sometimes parents go oh but they don't love me anymore yeah. okay. i'm not as important anymore yeah, so yeah, yeah. Sometimes we need them more than they need us. The first thing we need to get straight is they have to leave home. <laughs> they have to push away from us. They have to have their priorities in other places for them to develop healthily and normally. And that means that for this period of time in their life, they are gonna care so deeply about what their friends think. And they're gonna be so much more socially aware and that is okay. But I think what we need to do as parents is really name it and claim it that we need them more than they need us. And so oftentimes I've sat with mums, especially of teenage girls, and they're desperately missing those moments where they used to go shopping with their daughter and their daughter wanted to walk next to them. <laughs> or they used to have these chats on the end of the bed till late at night and, and there was this real bond. And then all of a sudden their girl is like pushing away and actually saying, what do you know about life or anything? And it can be like this dagger to the heart for mums. And I always say this, look, name it, acknowledge it, right? And dial down the neediness. There's a neediness that comes with that that is so off-putting for teenagers. And the moment parents show up with their neediness dial up too high, it just it's just a repellent for teenagers. So I say to mums, look, don't ask questions for a whole few days. Like, Jackie, that's hard. I know. How's your, I, 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 I struggled. <laughs> <laughs> How's your day? How's it, you know, like, because we want to be involved in their lives but kind of like just don't care so much for a minute. Like just take a step back and let it breathe because there's this push-pull that happens. We want them, they're pulling away. Let it breathe for a few days and then don't come in with questions. Come in with statements that you think reflect what's going on in their head at the time. Like, looks like today's a great day for you or looks like it's been a tough day and, and shut up. No questions, shut up. And let me tell you what will happen is 
they will start to talk back and respond to that statement without you looking really needy. That, that's a really great point. I think you're sort of sometimes caught between the looking too needy and then if you're realising that you perhaps you are looking a bit needy, that you step back and then you're not interested, right? So <laughs> you're, kind of, <laughs> you're, kind of, you're kind of sort of having that balancing act between the two and that's always really tricky. Um, social awareness, Michelle, this is a time where there's so much growth um, in just mm -hmm. being aware of outside of me and what's going mm -hmm. on. Um, some, some comments on that? Yeah, I'm writing a book about puberty for tweens at the moment. It's almost finished. I'm so excited about it. It's unbelievable because it's adorable. But um, a part in it, um, Adam is the character in the boys' book and he has a dog. And, and part of the dog's puberty is he needs to be with his friends to learn social skills. It's just a really important part of dog puberty. And I think our kids are no different. They actually really need that. And I've spent a lot of time with young people who have been bullied or not fitting in to social circles for some reason. And it's such an unhealthy place to leave kids in because they desperately need that for their development. And there's nothing more embarrassing for a young person than to feel like they don't have friends. And sometimes that's a thing they hide from adults so much because it's the ultimate failure for them, not fitting in and not having friends. And so I've seen sometimes young people not communicate on this area because they actually don't want to look like they've failed. Yeah, that's interesting. So I think that that's, um, you know, that, that need to look outside of yourself. There's so much growth potential there. Um, so I'm really, your book will be fascinating. Can't wait till it comes out. <laughs> um, okay, the big question, sex and sex education. When the parents, <laughs> yeah. parents stepping up, <laughs> what, yeah. what's some advice there? Because, I mean, it's an issue, right? You don't want to be handing it all over to the school to deal with because that's, uh, you know, personally, I don't think that's appropriate. I think that's a parent's yeah. job is my view. But when do you have the those conversations? Yeah, you. there's never a time that's really too early to have it. It's all about being able to break it down. Um, puberty's in them, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's in them. All the, all the seeds of growing up is there. So you're not talking about things that are not pertaining to them. The challenge is breaking it down to an age-appropriate way that they can digest it and mature enough to handle that information as well. So if you've got a young person who's like teens, like tweens, sorry, like that 8 to 12 kind of age, now's a great time to get in. And we've talked about the window of opportunity before, but there, there is this window of opportunity. It's so much easier to talk to an 8 to 12-year-old about pornography. You try and do that with a 14-year-old. That's tough. They look at you like, mum, what do you know about anything? And this is just so awkward. Get out of my room, you know? So if you can have those conversations before they hit those teenage years and they tend to, you know, maybe not want to have those conversations, that's a great thing to be able to do. But I do think if you start the conversations early enough, all you're doing from that point is layering. And consent, Jackie, is one area that I feel like we can't talk to young people enough. They just don't understand it um, because they lack that maturity, that prefrontal, that problem solving. Um, and sometimes we need to spell it out really black and white, especially for our boys, you know, so they, they do learn to listen and do learn to take those cues. And we're not just talking about sex, like sexual intercourse. Sex has a beginning, a middle and an end 
and it's all sex and it all impacts our kids so sometimes they think you know if i just fooling around or i'm you know just holding hands or i'm just it, it that's no big deal as long as i don't do it and it, it's not true it's actually give them giving a part of themselves away and they need to really understand what they're giving away and be consenting of that and also listen and check in with what somebody else is feeling and wanting as well I think it's just such a, an awesome opportunity and time for parents to, uh, it's that intimate parent relationship there that you're, you're absolutely in the right place. And it's, yeah. and it is actually your job, you know, to, yeah. to be stepping up at this time. And, and I, I know that personally, I really, I wasn't keen on other people having those conversations with my children yeah. because, mm -hmm. you know, I knew them best and I wanted to make sure that it was, you know, their father and I who was, who were talking to them. Yeah. And our kids should never have to bring up the awkward topics. You know, our kids should never have to be the ones that sort of ask the questions. We need to take on that responsibility of initiating these things regardless, you know, and I, and I think, you no, know, regardless whether a young person's giving you the indication they want to talk or not, I think the more we offer ourselves and stop <laughs> when we need to, you know, but the more we offer ourselves, the more they're likely to access that when they need to as well. No, all, all, all good points, <laughs> all, really, all really essential. Um, okay, friendship struggles. Now, I know we've talked about this before, but yeah. I think that this is becoming really, really um, topical again as we've got people returning back to, kids returning back to school and we've got schools in Victoria opening up again and everyone's sort of going back in the staggered, staggered way over the next few weeks. Yeah. So look, friendship struggles in the teenage years, we've got this groups and clicks thing happening again. So just a couple yeah. of words on that, Michelle. Yeah, look, I think our kids need to learn graciousness. And this is something I've just written a blog about it, but it's something I've really been thinking a lot about with young people because we all want grace extended to us and we all want to leave margin for error. But I think there's one thing that we need to talk to our kids about is making sure they're leaving enough margin for error for everyone else. I think they have a very high standard sometimes of how they like to be um, treated. They get offended very easily. And I think to teach young people that there's an ebb and flow in relationships and sometimes hanging on to their expectations and hanging on to things too tightly actually suffocates them from getting what they really need as well. Okay, so first boyfriend, first girlfriend. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> okay, let me take it away. I love it. All right, so when I speak to um, year levels of kids, I always say to them, man, if you're going to have a boyfriend in high school, you know, have a girlfriend in high school, please have good taste. And they always laugh because the reality is, is high school relationships are often about learning to have good tastes. And I know with my kids, whenever they liked someone when they were younger, I, I would always say, so what do you, what do you like about that? You know, and they never said, I've got two boys, but they never said to me, oh, she's, she really looks cute, mum. Maybe because they were embarrassed too. I'm sure they thought she looked cute, but they would always say to me, oh, mum, she's actually really kind. And, you know, when all the other girls are being mean, she's the one who goes over and bees nice to the other person. And I feel like it's just such a good thing to really encourage our kids to have good taste and to really unpack why they're getting attracted and gravitating to certain people. And if they're not having such good taste at 
at the time, then that's even a more important conversation to have with them. Um, lots of lots of conversations about what taste is and, <laughs> and yeah. you know, and also too, it's about, you know, it's them testing the waters for, yeah. you know, potential future longer term partners, which, you know, and it's, Absolutely. you know, do they, do they share your hopes and dreams? Are they yeah. supportive? You know, so it's all testing out all of those things that actually we know are, are pretty essential in a, in a keeper. Yeah. Yeah. And we can learn, we can use media as a bit of a springboard for this too, because I, I talk to young people about what a healthy relationships look like. And they've been taught a lot about healthy relationships, really, you know, especially when they're in engaged, supportive families and they look like trust and they look like commitment and they look like loyalty and they look like communication and they look like kindness and they, you know, they look like honesty and they, they can tell you what they look like. And then I say to them, think about the last movie that you saw that was, you know, not representative of healthy relationships or the next last advert that you've seen or whatever it be now tell me what that teaches you about relationships and they'll say that hookups are okay you know that um one night stands are okay that girls are dumb if they have blonde hair they'll say that you know like uh loyalty doesn't matter that lying's okay and it's amazing what they pick up through media and it's so important that they learn which basket to put that in that is not what a healthy relationship looks like and it doesn't have that kind of movie ending that sometimes those movies do. Um, and they, they, they're wise enough to know, but it's so important for them to continually unpack that as well. There's so many movies they watch where someone had a, you know, an affair or this or that and I say to them, look, in real life, what does that look like in a family? And it, it's really good for them to have those conversations and dive into that stuff as well. And there's nothing like teenagers, Jackie, to be able to dive into this really deep stuff, you know. They, they want you to get in boots and all and, and, and debated and, you know, back and forth and, and they love it. Well, we've got, we've got a question here, Michelle, so I'm going to let you answer this one because I've really, I, I don't think I've necessarily did this the right way with mine. So what are the right age to have a boy, what's the right age to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend as a parent? Should I meet the parents or do they do, do they do that here in Australia? Anna, yes, they absolutely do. <laughs> what country are you from, Anna? Where, what culture background are you? Let her answer that. Let her answer that one. But it, let you... It's amazing from culture to culture how different. Okay, from South, from okay. South America. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm really, I'm probably not familiar what that looks like, but I know a lot of kids from Asian backgrounds and maybe more conservative backgrounds regarding sexuality. I've really noticed this is a big difference and they, they come to schools and they, you know, they have their first boyfriend with someone who's you know of a different culture it does make a big difference so when's the right age research actually says that after kids leave high school well relationships have a better chance of lasting if they start after high school there's so much change that happens in that transition from grade 12 onwards even within their friendship circles and you will find that there's going to be so much shift even some of the friends they hang around with in grade you know, 9, 10, 11, even grade 12. I mean, mid-grade 12, everyone's, I won't say everyone, that's a gross generalisation, but kids book schoolies and then by the time six weeks out from schoolies comes, they're fighting with people and no one wants to stay in that hotel and it, it shifts and it's because life is taking them in so many different directions and they've also got a lot of pressure and stress on that part of their life as well. And so 
I've always said to my kids, look, like someone, have good taste, but let, let's get the serious relationship thing happening after you leave school. So it was kind of like an unspoken thing because I know that that's probably going to be the easiest on them. In saying that, we have friends that met in high school and have been married for, you know, 30 years and completely in love. So this stuff's got to be taken in a case-by-case -case basis. And slowly, I reckon, as slowly as you can get it as far as parents and negotiating and getting involved. Sometimes it breaks my heart a little bit to see parents get really excited about their kids having boyfriends or girlfriends when they're 12 and 13 and 14. And they let them stay over each other's houses and sleep over. And I just get worried about that because I feel like they've sort of got all the ingredients for this intense commitment to each other yet they don't have all the capacity to follow through on that and i feel like it sets them up for you know disappointment as well yeah it's, it's almost too much too soon you know i think that that's uh and, you know they're still very young <laughs> even though we think they've been you know we think teenagers at, at, a, at a younger and younger age are doing more and a more mature and more experienced and so on you know as we've been talking about you know in terms of brain development you know humans don't develop that much faster than they did you know several generations ago from that point of view so and we're going to always see them as our little kids like we always will so we're normally about two years behind so we are holding the rope this way and they're pulling it this way and it's normally somewhere in the middle nigel ladder says not too loose not too tight and I think that when it comes to relationships and our kids liking each other, not to panic about it, because most of this stuff runs its course within a few months, but also just to be a little bit protective of them as well is okay. Yeah. And I've always thought too, you know, it's such an important conversation for parents to have with each other first about what they want in terms of values and expectations and what they want for their children. So that when, you know, when this happens, they're, they're both on the same page, you know, as much as possible. And you do what's right for your family. You find it, you just, you articulate what's right for your family and you run with that, you know, it's not going to be the same as everybody else's family, but it, it's right for you. So if, if right for you is, calling the other parents and introducing yourself or just going up and saying hi if you do see them you know that's that's right for you that's important for you and your family so and our kids are mixing like with boys and with girls and you know they're mixing so much more than they did I think even in our generation it's it's not uncommon for them to have best friends that are of the opposite sex now and and so we do need to get to know our kids friends parents and we do need to build that sort of tribe around them because who knows, they might go to their friend's mum or their friend's dad or someone in someone else's family for advice and care. And having those lines and channels open and also having trust between parents can, can really help our kids. And, and they become really good friends. So the, the parents of your children's, you know, friends become your friends too i mean yeah. after it's really interesting some of our closest friends are uh, our kids aren't so close anymore <laughs> but we, our friendships have been maintained which has been really lovely so and the chances are your kids will come back to that in the years to come too so that's beautiful yeah that's right okay so let's have a look at now at some tips to deal with grumpy teenagers because we've had lots of questions about that and i love you talk about trade your time strategy okay yeah yeah okay so trade your time's more about helping kids be respectful so we can talk about that in a minute maybe and then we'll talk about grumpy teenagers okay 
they're going to have some days where they're just shockers. And there's a few things they need to know from us on those days. Number one is that we love them even in the messy. That the, the second thing they need to know from us is that we are okay even when they are grumpy teenagers. Because if we lose our stuff every time they get grumpy, our life is going to be a roller coaster. So we need to make sure that we're, we've got that kind of capacity to say, look, even though if my kids are having a really messy, grumpy day, I'm communicating to them that I'm, I'm okay, that I'm not going to fall apart on you. Because the moment we do that, it's too much for our kids to handle. They actually have to not only handle their own emotions and moods and hormones, I mean, turbocharge emotions, layer hormones on top of that, especially for our girls before they get their periods. I mean, it's just seesawing everywhere. The moment they look at us when they're having a grumpy day, they're looking to say, hey, is my safe person okay? And, and we've got to learn to communicate that. And I think humor goes a long way with teenagers. We've talked about the magpie strategy, which I, I love, and I know parents get a lot out of, but hit and run praise, you know, swoop on in, give them a cheeky smart comment, and, and don't wait for them to say, you know, I love you too, mum, back. Just swoop in and get out of there. And little things that we can do to lighten their day and lighten their load, it makes a massive difference. They actually need us to be the positive when they're the negative. And it's surprising how much they're offering leveraging off us to help them balance out those really intense moods. If we can be the rock and the stable table, it helps them immensely. It's interesting. One of my colleagues talks about being the, being the, the curious but, uh, but vocal cheer squad. So you're curious, the curious is that you're sort of just there, you know, you're not in the scene, but you're watching the scene, but yeah. you're the cheer squad in their ear going, yeah, you're doing great, you know. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah. And sometimes it is exactly that, you know, it's just that, you know, you're doing really well, thumbs up, you know, not yeah, saying yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it does go a long way. It does go a long way to boosting them. So they just know they're on track without the lecture or the, you know, the comment, the comment or anything like that. They want to see from us that we think we can get, they can get through it on their own. They don't, need, they don't want to be babysat and they don't want it to appear that we have to pick them up every time they're grumpy. We need to be able to communicate to them that you've got this, you know, I'm going to be the stable table that keeps going and, and you've got this. And they're going to learn to regulate. They're going to learn to work through that. I say that good parents hide in the wings and it's the same type of thing. They're hiding in the wings um, they're accessible when they need to be, but they stay soft and close and they don't get um, pulled into intense emotions with their own identity. And I think that's important. Okay, so trade your, trade your time strategy. Right, trade your time. A mum whose daughter texts and says, Mum, I've forgotten my peer uniform. Please come and bring it up to the office. I'm going to be in so much trouble. I'm going to get a detention. Please bring it up. And she knows her mum works from home, has got the capacity to bring it up. So she can't hide behind her boss or anything else like that. One mum actually shared this strategy with me years ago, and it does help a lot of families. Instead of just saying yes, the mum actually said, well, it's going to take me 20 minutes to get up there and 20 minutes to get back, 10 minutes to run it in and blah, blah, blah. It's going to take about an hour out of my day. 
do you think that you could help me with a, an hour or you might actually say 30 minutes an hour is like eternity for teenagers but an hour of stuff tonight so I can catch up and all of a sudden you learn how important that PE uniform is or not because it's going to touch and impact them now when you're looking at teenagers and the different priorities that they have then if it's going to touch on their time infringe on their like texting time their social time at night you might actually see where those priorities lie and I think that trading off your time is actually a way to teach kids that our time needs to be respected and so does our money <laughs> yeah and so all that things comes into play um, I wish I had heard that a long time ago <laughs> because I think that's actually awesome but you're right I mean it's just that um, you know that immediacy that everything has to be now that it's all centered around them and I think that's a, a such a great a great strategy and you're right you, you learn very very quickly you'll find it very quickly whether the uh, you know the, yeah. the, the detention is imminent and really and, and not actually too you know what does it matter if they do get that detention? Oh, I'm, I'm all with that. Oh, honestly. I mean, there were some things that my kids did at school and I felt like saying, give them three detentions, will you? Like, you know, like, you know, like, go for it. It's actually how they learn and it's totally yeah. okay. And that's part of the mess of growing up and, you know, it's all and good. It's no, and it's no reflection on the parents at all. You know? <laughs> really, it's we not. often think it is, don't we? But we it do. actually... They've got to push back and learn and grow and and sometimes the detention's all part of that, you know? Yeah. I and said to my kids, if you're gonna stuff up, do a good job of it, but let's not do it again. Like, make, it, make, it, make it memorable. <laughs> make, make it, it memorable, memorable. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's a bit like too, you know, the lunch, the, the forgotten lunch. And I remember mm -hmm. when the, when my kids were much younger and I got the phone call saying, Oh, he hasn't got his lunch and I thought, Well, they're little and I'm money down the road and I'll take yeah. it up to them. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm thinking, you know, as they got older, I thought no, I'm not, I can't. I can't just be racing around. They only forget it once. Yeah. And I think we do forget. Sometimes we're trying to please our kids or appease them and settle their emotions by doing stuff for them. But we actually forget that we're actually teaching them whether to respect us or not. And oftentimes when there's a lot of disrespect in the home, we've got to actually look inward and say, am I teaching my child to respect me? Or am I just giving, giving, giving and not helping them hold their end of the bargain no that's really that's a such a good good point so i'll think i'll uh, so if, you, if you're new to the teenage game that trading your time can i just say that's absolute gold um, and it's just said down here i will use this when she asks for clothes absolutely yes. you know, I, I shared this with a mum once and she started to give her daughter 50 dollars a week um like you know like pocket money or spend money and when because her daughter was always asking her for mcdonald's on the way home from school like all the time and if her mum said no it would start world war three so she she used that trade strategy and she gave her daughter money and she said look fifty dollars some people were like what fifty dollars a week but the reality is this mum was spending more than fifty dollars a week on whatever her daughter was doing and that fifty dollars had a you know this is what it's for and at first her daughter was like oh unreal but then she started to have to make choices between mcdonald's every afternoon and something else and all of a sudden it put the weight on her to make those decisions so it was good yeah interesting okay so this feeds really nicely into our next one which i think will probably be pretty close to our last question 
parents letting go and this is so hard but it's a time when you really do need to be letting them go and do and stepping back yeah yeah absolutely you don't don't say no unless you really have to like if it is a safety issue then yes you say no and you just say it clearly you say it straight but you say it soft and close so you don't say it like this because if you say it authoritarily without actually caring about the impact that that's going to have in their world you're going to get world war three so to be able to say no to a teenager you need to say look i, I completely understand that this is not what you want right now, that you're going to feel left out, that everyone's going to be at school talking about this party and you're not going to be there or whatever. Unpack that because I think sometimes we make decisions as adults in their best interest, but we don't really acknowledge how much it's going to impact their lives. And so we're saying, they say, well, you don't understand and you don't care. And in fact, we do. We just haven't unpacked that well enough for them to, to really know that. And we know how upset they're going to be. And we're actually ready to accommodate that. But when you have to say no, it's in charge energy and it's holding your ground. But as much as we can, we want to say yes. And that means sometimes that they're going to be in situations and environments where there is a possibility they're going to make a poor choice. Yeah? And you acknowledge that up front. And there, there's been times, and I'll take my own kids as an example, but, you know, I've given them numbers in their phone, I've talked through the risks with them, and I've let them know that I'm aware that there's a possibility that I'm going to say yes tonight, and you could make a poor choice. And at that moment, I never want you to not feel like you can ring me, or you can ask me to come and pick you up, because... I understand that I'm making this decision with the understanding that I know it is possible. I'd like to think it won't happen, but I know I'm making this decision to know it is possible. I used to have a saying I said to parents a long time ago when I was more working in a mentoring role with young people that were probably on that edge of really, you know, poor choices and, and really risky behavior. But I used to say this, look, trust a teenager to walk across the road without getting hit by a car. Trust them to turn up to a part-time job on time, but don't trust them with life-changing decisions that's going to change the course of their life. So if you can't say yes and be prepared for them messing up and know that there's a safe place for them to fall and it's going to be okay, it's possibly something you need to say no to. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Um, you know, and I think that's the, uh, the crux of it really is just getting that balance you know your children really well you know what they're capable of but you also know what your responsibility is as a parent too and being realistic about that jackie i mean yeah, I know. mistakes right. here am i going like this you see me with my hand just then someone came through the door i'm going no <laughs> no no <laughs> no <laughs> They're adults. I just say they're adults now. They're, I'm, 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 past, I'm past this time, this teenage time. I'm still going, no. <laughs> um, Michelle, thank you so much for tonight. Oh, it's been lovely, lovely chatting with you. Now, you've got a book. A book? Oh, yes, I do. It's in my bookcase. I've okay. got it. It's called Parenting Teenage Girls in the Age of a New Normal, Disrespect, Social Media, Sexuality, Moods and Drugs and Alcohol. Um, I've also on Monday going to release details on a bit of a comprehensive webinar on this topic. So it's going to be like oh, a two hour thing. So it'll be up on my socials and newsletter. Fantastic. So it's, it's the actual sex and drugs and rock and roll book for tween, <laughs> tweens and teen, teen girls. Oh, cool. <laughs> 
fantastic. <laughs> uh, Michelle, thank you so much. And we've also got uh, some other events coming up on uh, for VPC, VPC Live. So check out the website, the details are there. Um, it's free to register for those events uh, and we look forward to seeing you again. So I'm gonna just say thank you, Michelle Mitchell. It's been wonderful chatting with you again. Thanks so much. Love them lots for me, because really that's what's gonna get them through. Yep, and uh, only a few more weeks to go in Melbourne and you're nearly there, so hang oh. in there. <laughs> it's been, yeah, been lovely, lovely chatting with you all and having you with us tonight. Okay, good evening. Bye thank everyone. Thanks, bye. bye. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? Please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic.edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sydney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening.